Care for a nightcap? He held out a flask, then pulled it back with a grin. No, you better not. You need someone to walk you home, miss. I lit out for home without answering, cursing skitters in general and the one who'd made a feast out of my leg in particular. And twigs, I cursed them plenty as well. The riverbank gave way to a dirt road, cool and smooth under my bare feet with barely a pebble to throw. Only a town as boring as a Bible lesson would have such clean dirt roads. But I breathed in through my nose, lingering wood smoke from the crew's fire mixed with the early autumn scent of dry, sun-baked grass and ripening leaves. I stood still for a second in the light of the stars and waxing moon, wriggling my toes and taking a look at my new life. The night version of St. Petersburg spread out before me in a quiet beauty that was too calm for my taste, too much like a place that had never gotten to know my brother. Once I was in our yard, I avoided the Miss Ada-shaped shadow in the lamp-lit kitchen and scooted around the house. I lifted the parlor window. Well, shoot. That tiny squeaking sound wasn't bad, but somebody went and put clinky vases on the table next to the window, and somebody went and parked her body in the parlor and fell asleep. Ducking behind Mama's big blue armchair, I timed my movement with her snoring and snuck a look at her nightly reading, which she'd forgotten on the end table. Looked like some muckety-muck romance book to me. Tucked in her hand was the family portrait that I hadn't seen since she hid it away a year ago. In the photograph, Daddy looked stern and handsome, and Mama was soft-smiled and pretty. John looked straight into the camera, his eye twinkle standing out even in black and white. My face was covered up by Mama's sleeping fingers. Gently moving her hand so I was back in the family, I gave my mama a good long stare, soaking up the sight of her looking peaceful instead of sad. Then, ever so careful, I tippy-toed across the parlor while mama snored on. It wasn't until I reached my room and closed the door, quiet as a tinkle in the woods, that I saw him. Daddy. Judge Thatcher, as I called him when I got into mischief, was sitting on my bed with his arms crossed. In one hand was his fancy pocket watch, the one he used in court matters. About the size of a baby's palm, it was always shiny and always wound and always exactly on time. He called it Old Reliable. Me and Old Reliable weren't on friendly terms. It's past ten o'clock, Becky, he said, snapping the watch shut. When he caught sight of my clothing, I saw him soften and go to a sorrowful place before he recovered himself. Mighty late, considering you said your good nights nearly two hours ago. Oh, is it late? I asked. Well, I guess I'll get to sleep. I yawned real big. Judge, I'll have to ask you to excuse yourself. I'm getting mighty big to have my daddy stick around to sing a lullaby, so feel free to get on to bed. You look real tired. I believe you can spare a moment or two. He caught my nose between a giant finger and thumb and squeezed it nice and playful, but his eyes looked like business.
Are you going to be giving me trouble every night, Miss Becky? He said it in his low, low voice that sounded like molasses would if molasses could talk. When he added a gravelly rumble and stood to his full height of over six feet, he could make criminals shake in their stolen boots. No, sir, I won't be giving you trouble every night. And I wouldn't be any trouble at all if you'd quit waiting up to catch me. He patted the bed for me to sit down. We're trying for a fresh start here. I have enough on my mind. Between making sure your mama settles in and having the Pritchard brothers loose in my jurisdiction. Is that understood? Eleven-year-old girls belong in bed. Not exploring a town like it was a new territory. It's new territory to me, I said. Becky? He trailed off but the tone of his voice said plenty more. Who are the Pritchard?